0: look at how we actually talk about crit racing like pause for a second and think about how you speak to non-criterium racing friends how you speak to loved ones and try to explain to them what it is that we do and the words that you choose to use and then look at the way that you choose to describe the sport to people who are already a part of it do you overuse the word epic Is that like the word within bike racing that we like to turn to, to describe the ultimate expression of how awesome an event or a ride or a race or whatever it happens to be is, oh, that was an epic day. Do you choose to describe bike racing in the terms of how hard it is and how insane you are for doing it while at the same time self-congratulating for Actually, accomplishing the task of doing the insane, epic, hard thing that you didn't think was feasible or capable of being done? Or do you say, nah, man, that was easy. It was four corner crit. Or in the case of cyclocross, my least favorite critique of a cyclocross race, oh, it was a grass crit. Oh, I hate it when they say that on cyclocross radio because it just makes me so angry a grass crit a grass crit could be insane it could be fun it could be exciting we've done dirt crits before in the past let's do them again let's shake everything up we have a opportunity here today to relook at the way that we talk about things Earlier this year, I got the opportunity to listen to another podcast that featured Michael Marks, one of the guys behind the Belgian Waffle Ride series of races, one of the guys who helped make the messaging and branding for that race, which has become a success, not just nationwide, but now worldwide. People are getting Belgian Waffle Ride tattoos. That's where we've come. It's almost to Iron Man levels now. So let's look at what the folks from the Belgian Waffle Ride have said about the events that they have. This is the event that says this race is too hard for the average person, but then in the very next breath says... Come try it out, anyways, and we're going to give you a great time while proving that this event is too hard for the average person. Do we do that in crit racing? Do we do that in our sport where we say to somebody from outside, Come give this thing a shot? Give this thing a shot. Test yourself. If you fail, eh. That's what's supposed to happen anyways, but come back the next time and try it again and try harder. And oh, by the way, let's encourage you along that path. How many people in their first Cat 5 race get dropped? I know I sure as heck did. In fact, I think it was like four or five crits in before I finally finished my first criterium. It was the fourth day of Gateway Cup. I can remember it for sure. It was the loop course the one down by blueberry hill in the old part near forest park i finally finished that race five criteriums into my crit racing season or my crit racing life that had already featured at least two crashes on the same day i finally finished it and it felt so incredible it felt like such an accomplishment but how many people go one race and done how do we Take this conversation that we've been having about the pointy end of the criterion field, the pointy part of the day, the fast afternoon, and then switch it to start talking about what happens at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning, long before the pros are doing their coffee spins, going to double shot or going to Necker or whatever the coffee shot of choice they happen to be going to. How do we make it so that people who are getting into the sport know that they're getting into something hard are encouraged to do it, but still at the same time appreciate the awesomeness of their accomplishments. That's what we're here to talk with Michael Marks about. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterion Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for the full bevy, the lineup of shows of shows about bike racing, from cyclocross to mountain biking to Zwift racing to comedy to gravel to this American-focused bike racing peloton. We have got it all, but we do need your help. This is a content creator-owned endeavor. This is a thing that we do out of passion for the sport, for the love of it, for the joy of entertaining you. But it takes work, it takes time, and it takes money. If you would like to support this content creator-owned effort, this independent source of cycling media in the world, we would love it. We would so very much appreciate it. WideAnglePodium.com. Go to that website. You can become a subscriber, a supporter, and you will know that your money is going to help keep this show, the Slow Ride Podcast, Cyclocross Radio, the Grodio, Nowhere Fast, going. And it'll keep us telling these stories for you in the future. We are brought to you this week by our friends at Source Endurance, the best endurance coaching source on the internet, on the web. Source-e.net is your home for all of the needs that you will not know yet that you need to fill in endurance coaching. I'm a Source Endurance athlete. I've been a Source Endurance athlete since the beginning, since before their colors were even blue and fluorescent yellow, back when it was like a gray and red or whatever it happened to be, I've been there since the beginning. And I owe a lot of my fitness, my form, my appreciation for the science of the sport To Adam Mills, to Kristen Arnold, to Zach, my own personal coach, Allison, to all of them. Nikki Peterson, you all are so wonderful and so encouraging. They have Belgian Waffle Ride prep kits for you. They've got Criterium Workouts of the Week. They are even partnering this year with Tulsa Tough to be the official Source Endurance Coaching Sponsor. For that event. So source-e.net is your home. Go there, use the promo code CriteriumNation for $50 off your first month of coaching. You will notice we are not talking about the NCL. You will also notice that we're talking about doing things differently. You will notice that we are talking about messaging, branding, getting ideas out there. All of these things linked together. The entire arc of shows that we have done so far this year, from Brad Soner to the Lifetime Grand Prix to even the NCL in this show, has been about how do we get our message out there? How do we educate, encourage, advise, and advance the sport of Criterium Racing by looking at the way that other people have done it in the past for their niche, for their expertise, for their passion? We can steal. Straight up wholesale steal from other parts of bike racing and other sports out there. We do not have to reinvent the proverbial wheel when we figure out how to make this sport more inclusive, more accepting, more encouraging, more approachable for the newbie and also more exciting for spectators and for the men and women at the top. We've got Michael Marks here who's gonna teach us about how he did it for the Belgian Waffle Ride and how he's hoping to do it with the art of cornering, the brand new criterium that he and his friends are gonna to bring to us this summer. And we're doing all of that right now. hardest question of them all. It is absolutely, fundamentally the most challenging. It's also the one that I have to ad-lib a little bit here because normally I ask the question is introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, and who you race for, because typically we're doing athletes. But now I I get to say who you are, where you live, and why you're famous within the bike racing world. So go ahead and introduce us. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and why you're famous.
1: Uh, well, I'm Michael Marks. I currently live in Lucadia, California, which is in San Diego, uh, North County on, by the beach. And I didn't know that I was famous. Uh, I raced for a team called Courier, which is Canyon's elite team. But perhaps people know me from being the founder and creator of the Belgian Waffle Ride. And I perpetrate this in- peddling perversity. Uh, in what will be seven locations globally this year with with a wonderful team that makes it happen.
0: So BWR, as we all know it, the cool kids who are in the club of unroad racing know it, is kind of become this American and international phenomenon. But your story does not begin, nor does it end, with BWR. You came from a long line of, of... you know, C-suite, so CEO, chief executive officer, chief financial officer, that sort of business acumen background before you even got into running or birthing the Belgian waffle ride. Can you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about your pre-bike racing, but maybe bike industry adjacent experiences in the professional world?
1: Yeah, um, my my dad... <clears throat> Have a belgian heritage so my aunt once did our lineage and found out that eddie merrick's because our family is the merrick's family the merrick's clan but when we moved here they changed the e to an a one brother got to keep the merrick's name the other one became a marx so there's that belgian connection uh, and my dad loves the belgian connection so um and i would say he's like i'm the seventh in line generationally of belgian bakers Bread bakers. So my grandfather, my dad's dad, had a massive Belgian bread uh, empire in the Pacific Northwest that um, had about 190 delivery trucks to give you a sense of the greater Portland area that they were serving bread to. So I grew up with that. I grew up drinking Belgian ale. I'm the oldest of four kids. We all got into endurance sports. I had my first race bike when I was 12 because my parents were so into it. I also did my first marathon when I was 12, which isn't saying much because my younger brothers ran their first marathon when they were 12. So all six of us, marathoners, cyclists, crazy endurance athletes. Um, I raced in college, but then found success as a triathlete because I I could run and swim just as well as cycle. So I was on the U.S. national team as a tri-geek went to the world championships I won the world amateur championships for duathlon run bike run and my parents were involved in putting on races so I I was involved in putting on races putting on events from a young age I always loved it I, I segued into putting on big music concerts too because I also play the drums and I played with a lot of bands so I've always been interested in entertaining people by creating things that they want to do so I've I, I was the executive director for Gatorade at the Hawaiian Ironman in the past. I also was the executive director of numerous uh, World Championship Tour surfing events, if you're familiar with the uh, WSL now. Um, I love events and I love storytelling and making films and those things all kind of come together. So. Um, the BWR was a natural thing for me when I got hired to turn around Spy Optic, which was a publicly traded eye company eyewear company here in San Diego. One of the first things I did was create the Belgian Waffle Ride as an example of how you market or how you create experiential marketing for your marketplace. Give people something to talk about that isn't necessarily the product, but has a positive rub-off on the product and build that out. And so that became an extremely uh, successful marketing campaign for us. And here we are 12 years later, seven years ago, I left Spy. So um, we've been doing this thing for 12 years.
0: Can we talk for a second about Spy? Because there is this fabulous story about the Spy that you inherited when you were brought over to them from a chief executive position at a different global company. You were brought over to SPY, and at the time, SPY was not the company that a lot of us remember it to be. It was kind of in a financial bad place, but they had some impressive technology and they had some impressive products. You were brought over to fix something. Tell us about that. It it was uh, on
1: its final legs. is going down the gurgler, as they say. Uh, the five CEOs before me collectively lost about $55 million. Um, so I was hired to fix the mess. And the first thing I did was I talked to the founder who I who I believed in, who was really smart, who went on to found Prana, the brand Prana, if you're familiar with them. Um, and I said, hey, look, this is what I believe the brand's about. Is this how you envisioned it at the beginning? He agreed. So then I basically created a roadmap for success that involved creating new technology, which was the happy lens, the first ever therapeutic lens technology. We didn't have much money. So I had to come up with creative ways to market that incredible technology. And I had to reinvent the brand from soup to nuts. Um, So what I did was with an incredible, incredibly talented group of people, The first thing I did was fire 32 people on one day, and then over the next month, I hired about 26 to replace them. And then that team of people got together with the other, I think there's 106 people in the organization uh, besides the sales reps. And we aligned ourselves behind the idea of happiness because the lens technology that we created was the happy lens. So if you were to call spy, the answer would be, Thank you for calling spy how can I make you happy and everything we did had this tinge positive tinge of happiness in everything that we did every Friday we had happy hour for everybody in the Community everything that we did when you open the box there'd be a happy message. Um, But the technology itself was so innovative uh, still no one to this day has ever come up with a therapeutic lens technology, so the happy lens and the idea of happiness became the mantra of the brand, and we had 15 quarters in a row of growth as a publicly traded company. So it was very fun. It was very productive. And it was done through a magical group of people that got together and brought happiness back into the world.
0: But you needed to get the message out there. It's one thing to create a product that's good. It's another thing to create a product that's built Buy a company that has happiness as its mantra, but that doesn't get it into anybody's pockets, sort of thing, or it doesn't get it doesn't get it into anybody's carts. You needed people to actually buy the product, and so you came up with a kind of creative, almost guerrilla marketing campaign, in which you basically got yourself canceled for the clicks, as they would have said about 10 or 15 years ago. What was the story about getting the message out there to a broad media?
1: Um, Yeah, if we backtrack the company that I was running before, um, I had created a campaign that was just total BS. And it was for literally a surf film that went on to be, at that time, the the greatest selling surf DVD of all time. Basically, with that, as I created this whole controversy about what we were doing. The movie was called Secret Machine. And I got the most famous surf uh, cinematographer at the time to be on our team and then write a press release that I wrote, send it out to the world saying, hey, we're doing something that no one's ever done. And I'm I'm removing myself from it, became this huge thing that we controlled with separate websites and really created this thing where literally at the US Open of Surfing, people were picketing secret machine so that sort of paved the way for another way to create some tumult in the marketplace creative disruption that would capture people's imagination mm-hmm. so what i did was i rented a billboard on pch that got about about, about 1100 or sorry 11,000 people passed by it every day by the beach and the the simple message was happy to sit on your face and some spy sunglasses and the clear channel said look if someone complains about that we're gonna have to take it down so i thought yeah that's fine that's great i don't mind that so then what i did is once it went up i contacted i had a staff member contact the patch and they put up a post literally uh, a survey crass or creative and a picture of the billboard um Then I had someone call Clear Channel to complain. I had a mother from the community complain that their children were asking what sitting sitting on a face meant. They told me they had to take it down. They told me exactly when they were going to take it down. So then I got 60 people to protest. What's wrong with happy? You know, sunglasses sit on your face. 60 people with signs while they were taking down the billboard with news helicopters above. So that created a huge scene. It got on all the news channels. It got on, it got on every major marketing magazine, um, the daily UK, LA times, um, every, every publication that mattered to me. And then I spent the next s- several months doing morning talk shows about the happy lens technology, Because of that billboard. And then every month I would change the billboard creative out and make it just one notch below offensive. So, what that did was by the time that started in September, by the time the product actually landed and was in retail doors on February 1st, it immediately sold out. I mean, it sold out so quickly that um, we couldn't even meet the demand for the product. And that creativity, that ingenuity, if you will, from our staff, Perpetrated the next 14 quarters in a row of year-over-year growth just by manipulating that messaging, that happiness, and creating things that were controversial.
0: So let's switch gears now to kind of how you pull that, that theory, that disruptive creativity from the happy lens and from marketing to unroad racing. And I'm I'm being specific to use on-road racing because that's your guys's term nowadays. It used to be the BWR. This is not a gravel race. Then you put in a lot more gravel and uh, dirt this year. So now it's uh, close to 50-50 road and unroad. So you guys came up with this unroad uh, mantra. Creative disruption in the bike racing world is nothing new, but something about gravel, and mixed surface racing makes it sure feel like it is new. BWR is by far not the first on-road race. I mean, you can go all the way back to Alma GP and to Perry roubaix on the roadside. You know, you can find races that people have been using road-like bikes to ride off-road. But why do you think BWR has become such a success that there are what close to 4,000 people who do the San Marcos event between the two days? Uh, yeah,
1: we had over 4,000 registrants the year before. Um, so a lot of people, but I mean, the answer is it's, it's part gravel, it's part single track. It's, it's literally a seven hour or 10 hour or 15 hour for some people's cyclocross race. And when I started it, I, was, I had a pro card to race Uh, Cross And that was my favorite thing. But I love longer races. So selfishly, I thought, hmm, I love Belgian waffles. I really love Belgian ale. I love cross racing, but I want it to be longer. Why don't we create a party that features Belgian waffles, beer, and in between, we do a very long cross race. What's different about Unroad is sometimes you're on asphalt. Sometimes you're on really bad asphalt. Sometimes you're on single track. Sometimes you're not even on a track you're going across rocks, and sand, and water crossings. Sometimes it's a double track. So it's the ever dynamic varied terrain that we call unroad that makes it such a dynamic and fun experience. It's not like doing 200 miles on the same gravel road where there's no signs and no aids and, and nothing really to do other than try to get to the finish without flatting. Um, That's certainly a part of our race, as you know, like a lot of people flats, you better have the right tire, you better have the right gearing, you better be prepared. Um, But it's, you're never going to be on one stretch of road or single track or double track for too long. It's always going to be broken up like a cross race. So it's super exciting. And when you're forced to be in the moment so much, that you're not thinking about the next turn that's 50 miles from now where you're going to turn right. You're thinking about in a hundred yards, I'm going to go through sand. I might not make it. I might have to dismount, carry my bike. Um, there's this ever changing scenery that all of a sudden you've, you've done 50 or 60 miles and you're so immersed in the moment that you um, aren't bored out of your skull wondering when that right-hand turn is going to come. And I think that's exciting and compelling for people. I also think just cogitating on gearing and what tire all the way up till race day, which tire am I going to use? Because the, the, especially in San Diego, the terrain can change from day to day based on the rain, the moisture, um, people pre-riding the course with tears it up. So, uh, it's, it's, it's something to cogitate on all the time because it's ever changing.
0: One thing I don't understand and maybe you can help enlighten me about it is why why we do this. You know, when you look at the 136 miles of San Marcos of BWR San Marcos, you you know you you go through some pretty dark places along that journey. Even if you are a in shape physical specimen of a 20-year-old athlete, And after all of that, you get kicked in the teeth by double peak, which is that last stretch before you hit the twisty turn drop down into San Marcos. And you get people who like literally go through life changing moments in, in in their mind. And then they come back the next year and they do it again. And these are 40, 50, 60 year old men and women who are not, the elite athletes, and they love it. They're out there for like 15 hours during the course of the day. Why? I, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense when you look around the rest of the United States at people who spend their Saturdays and Sundays sitting on the couch drinking beer and, and watching football.
1: Yeah, well, um, the people that choose to do it are choosing to live their life in a, in a life of adventure. Um, It's very hard, as you know, to finish that race and you can get close and then, and then you've got a five mile climb up to double peak. And the closer you get to the top, the steeper it gets, it hits 23% uh, towards the top there. Um, So yeah, it's diabolical in so many ways, but then um, it's sort of a metaphor for life too. There's all these challenges and you think you're doing great. And then 10 miles later, you're ready to quit, but you keep going, you keep persevering. And then suddenly you feel better again. And you go through these waves and challenges and people come along that encourage you and so you do it. Or you encourage people and then that encourages you more. So there's, there's an experience to be had that starts the day you register and all the training that you have to go through to prepare yourself, which is enriching and edifying to your life, then you do this crazy adventure that that is something that's a badge of honor. That's something that you look back on and go, wow, I can't believe I did that. And it's edifying to your life in so many ways, not just the achievement, not just the badass ale that you get at the finish line um, and your name and the results. There's something else that's transcendent that you have and you own and you use that again and again for other adventures in your life.
0: So BWR San Marcos started at like 10 o'clock my time in the morning on the day of the race in May, which means it's seven o'clock Pacific time. And which also means that I got to enjoy from the comfort of my own house, the beauty that was the start of your event. And also I was drinking coffee and uh, and eating Belgian waffles myself but when you look at the start, there are more media at the start of that race, videoing, photographing, interviewing athletes and participants than I've seen in almost any other domestic bike race. You have created this, I don't know if it's through messaging or through reality or through a combination of both, but you've created this mythos of this event how did you go about turning it from what was a casual ride between friends that happened to take place in San Diego or in North County to this thing that now has events outside of of California, outside of the United States? You know, how did you create that buzz?
1: Well, as a first and foremost as a branding person, um I'd much rather work in branding than say, be the CEO of a company, especially of a publicly traded company. I just love brand, So I started it, the Belgian waffle ride with its own icon, BWR and the lion of Flanders and treated it as such. But also if it was it was never a friendly ride. The first one was invite only 136 people were invited, 118 finished. And it was a, a hammer fest, from the get-go essentially there's a bit of a neutral section and then it's a race and people want to crush each other Uh, and then it just got more and more competitive but how what i did is i nurtured that brand point of view which is basically like this is probably too hard for you you don't want to do this and then uh interspersed with fun messaging um, and names you know this there's 26 major sectors off or unroad sectors that each have their own quirky name. Those are the antagonists. And each event I do that, each event has these antagonists, these sectors that are meant to basically um, ruin your day. And that, that is part of the mythology of this is it's this crazy thing that's really hard, that people now are getting the BWR tattoos on themselves. And it's um, it's, its own unique thing. And people want to be a part of something unique, but it takes people. It takes the other people that have come along and said, I want to do that. I want to be a part of it. And then they bring their own special magic. They bring their family, they bring their point of view, they bring their social media posts and they give it new life through the prism of their life. And it's that legion of people that impart something of themselves through the prism of the BWR, that perpetuates that mythology and the brand sensibility. So while I planted the seeds and watered them, everyone else has given it something special. And I mean, my partners, all the volunteers, and especially the athletes that sign up to try and do it and try and finish, they make the brand something that it is.
0: How important is it to you to have more than just a race, but to have events that go with it, to have an expo that has grown now to the point where, like, I think you've occupied additional property in order to have it done. I mean, you know, Bandy Canyon and the Lemon Twistenberg and uh, Raptor Ridge and all these are great to be a part of, but there's so much more than just getting from point A all the way back around to point A again?
1: Yeah. So the, what's important there is it's a community. So we have this community that's coming together. So why why should it just be for that one day from point A to B and then back to A um, when it should be start the week before, which it does now? There's all sorts of – it actually starts before because we do – a series of recon rides where we reveal the course slowly to people, perhaps not in order, but we reveal the new sectors this year. You'll be delighted to know is completely new. There are so many new sectors this year um, that uh, it's going to be so exciting. Um, Super safe, which I'm happy about. Also, it's contained in, in a closer area, so we'll be able to have more support throughout. Um, more medical support, which is important, more on-road support, more on-road support. But essentially it's the community that comes together that does the the pre-rides and does the pre-dinners and then the VIP dinner and then the media event and then the expo and then the demo rides. Um, And the expo itself is three days long and that doesn't count the other events that we do in in the lead up. So bringing the community together getting people to break bread and commune and do shakeout rides and stay a little bit longer and and you know do recovery rides. That's really what it's about. It's the pageantry of the whole thing that to me is the magic.
0: I think Amanda Nauman's gonna be super excited that she's she's gonna hear that the the entire course is different. Now she gets to to you know hit me with questions about well what is different? You've got to know you've got the inside track clearly uh-huh.
1: I love Amanda. We had, we actually had our Cedar city event um, that got scheduled on top of her event. And I, I, she was like, dude, your, your race is the same weekend as ours. I was like, what? So I went back to the city and wrangled with them and we, we moved it two weeks earlier. So we don't sit on anybody's event. I, I would be happy to sit on other people's, but not, I would not want to be um, uh, in in the way of Amanda for her event. It's a great event, and we support it every which way we can. So I love Amanda, um, but I'm not going to give you any tidbits. She can she can reach out to me though.
0: Good, and and just so everybody knows, Amanda's event is Mammoth Tough, and it is in its second year now, even though it's been. She's tried to run it four times, but she's lost to COVID, lost to fires, and then got to finally put it on, and it was great last year, according to fellow Wide Angle Podium host, uh, Michael Bodekheimer, who did it. My question for you is, and this is all gonna lead to crit racing, is at what point in time are you too successful? You know, you, you had tremendous success with San Marcos cedar city was the next one up it got added a few years ago you know the population of of athletes at cedar city is smaller than the population at san marcos asheville got added lawrence was added you know my my wonderful alma mater the university of kansas can't believe that you brought the event there i'm so excited that you did oh because i used
1: to spend my summers there and my grandfather went there and he was the Captain of the national championship basketball team that went on to be the basketball team that uh, went to the 1936 Olympics. So I have I have a connection there as well, and I love it. And that, by the way, is the greatest gravel course in the world—the
0: Kansas one. Yeah, and it's
1: ninety some odd percent gravel, unroad. So lots of gravel, lots of unroad, lots of cyclocross. Close to 10 miles of cyclocross.
0: Are you including the stretch that is on a, like a raised wood plank as off-road? No, that's that's
1: another five and a half miles of uh, unroad, yes, but not the cyclocross stuff that I'm talking about, but that is super magical too. And that's the finale of the course.
0: <laughs> I gotta see the sprint finish on that. Um, the question is, is though, when do you become too successful? Or is that not a problem that can happen? Because we see in Criterium Racing, you know, one great weekend event, and then people try to replicate that, and it doesn't exactly work. Or you do one great weekend event in Tulsa, but then it kind of falls apart when you move it outside of Tulsa to Oklahoma City. You know, you have you are asking people now for the the quadruple header. To you know, travel to multiple different locations to participate in it, and so far, you've gotten really good repeat buyers. You know, there are people who just that—that's their—that's their season is BWR. But does there come a point in time where you worry about dilution? Uh, yeah,
1: there's there's a formula that we have that's pretty simple. It's it's three ingredients does the venue is it a dream destination is it a really cool place where you'd want to go and hang out with your friends or family two does that venue offer the kind of dynamic and challenging unroad sectors that we can make a magical 135 mile course that has all of those elements uh, and three is there a cycling community there that can support it be a part of it and help make the magic happen so it really comes down to that formula. So BC, uh, the Vancouver Island event that has all of those things. So the registrations are great for that. Arizona, same thing. Fantastic. Like totally unique. That course will be in just insane. And it's going to be 124 miles, but it, people are going to feel like they did 200. Um, so each, each venue, if it has those compelling features, then we think it will work. Yes. You can dilute it. If let's say I tried to do one in LA, which is close by, or I started to put events that kind of sat on top of each other where someone's like, well, I think I'm going to do that one and not that one. Um, so yeah, you can do too many. I think now with what we have in the U S there's room for Colorado maybe Montana, uh, Pacific Northwest, besides what we're doing up uh, above the border. And then really the growth will come in Europe. So we're focused on and Latin America, I should say, because one one event in Mexico this year, several in Latin America in 2024. And then the vision is to bring this this formula to Europe. And there's so many different places you can imagine, including Belgium that uh, while there's a rising tide too for this thing that they call gravel over there, um, with the UCI now having uh, a world championship for gravel, all of a sudden people in Europe are like, whoa,
0: what's this thing?
1: And um, there's a rising tide there. So there's, there's tailwinds for us there and, and, and we want to go where the tailwinds are.
0: Why don't we talk about what this show is all about, and it's a very strange segue, but I promise you it actually works to talk about Criterium Racing, because I want to say maybe a month and a half or two months ago, you you wrote me and you said that you were thinking about getting into the crit racing promotion game, and you started asking questions which to an average Criterium racer, or even somebody who's got exposure or experience with promoting a race, just didn't make sense to me. And because of that, and because of your background, I figured you were going in a direction that maybe we need to look at more and we at least need to know why you're thinking about doing it because we sometimes, and the beginning of the year is a good time to do it, need to rethink what we're doing. So talk to us about Monterey.
1: Yeah. We have a house up in Monterey, so I ride up there all the time. Uh, And as you know, Sea Otter's there. Um, It's a beautiful place to ride, but they have this little community called Sand City. Um, I think there's 320 residents in the whole of Sand City, most of whom are artisans. So there are at least 40 different murals throughout this small Sand City area. There's also uh, a brew pub and a couple of other cool businesses the way the hit, the, the community is set up on a hillside, it makes for the most dynamic criterium you could ever imagine racing less than seven tenths of a mile with 10 turns. Um, and even there's a bump in there, uh, that, um, there's two different names. One's California Cation Hill and the other one's Hickory Hill. So, uh, the that will have like literally the revelers, the hecklers, there'll be beer served on that hill. Um, and then each turn has a huge mural. So I'm calling it the art of cornering, because literally in order to win this race, you have to be so on your cornering game, which you and I both know is uh, paramount to success in a crit. You have to know how to carry speed. You have to be able to negotiate those things. You have to be able to come out of turns, chase down things, or uh, turns are usually where you can make uh, up some gains. So 10 turns on a short course with people lining it and screaming it and screaming at people, and there's a party going on the entire day, we'll get people from all over. And if you're familiar with how popular cycling is, in the Bay Area, so San Francisco, all the way down to Monterey Bay, there's so many people that love to race bikes that we're gonna give them something completely unique. And we wanna put that on the national calendar for for teams from throughout the US to come and race for a very large prize purse and show just how good they are at the art of cornering.
0: So you can already see elements within that discussion that we just had where you're applying certain factors of the BWR success to this. Uh, you know, the art of cornering, that's huge marketing. It just it makes me want to do something. And you know, you're you've talked about seven tenths of a mile with you know, 10 corners. So now you're taunting me like, are you gonna survive? You're definitely not going to finish. Only the strong survive this race. What is it that you're trying to do here? Are you trying to disrupt the way that crit racing works? Are you trying to create the BWR crit empire? Or is this just, just, I have a passion for making things and this is another thing I want to make right here.
1: Well, first of all, there's a few other individuals who are the genesis of this, of doing the San City Criterion, And I thought they were genius of what they had. So I thought, hmm, why not, why not BWR this thing? Why not really create something disruptive, create that marketing attraction, uh, and build something that is compelling to everybody? Uh, and as you know, um, Racing a crit is super exciting, even if it's just four corners, right? There's something just, it's really intimate bike racing with your elbows out. Um, This thing has all of that. Plus it's got the bump in there. So there's, there's just, and it's mostly left-hand turns too. So it's just this crazy setup that um, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And I've done a lot of crits and I even used to, promote and direct a weekly crit. I love it. So I just thought, why not make something special? And in doing so, I hope to create excitement with other promoters who think, hmm, we don't have to do it in this parking lot. We don't have to do it in these four turns. Why don't we come up with something more interesting that is more challenging for the average crit racer? That's what I wanna do is make something special.
0: Why? So this has been a big topic of this show is that sometimes crit racing is too easy. Why do you want to challenge crit racers? Why do you want to make it harder?
1: It's more exciting. If you're a spectator, it's more exciting to watch the matriculation of a race um, where there's such dynamics that one guy's leading for four laps and then you never see him again. Another guy's leading for two laps, and then you never see him again. And it's also less about teamwork on that kind of a course. You know, you you would have a hard time of, say, 10 Legion guys welding a field together um, because it's just too dynamic and too challenging to control. Although if anyone could do it, they could do it, right? But we want to give them uh, an extra challenge to come and and levy their, their, talent on all the people around that area. And there's plenty of great teams in the area, but ultimately it's going to come down to spirited individuals who are super strong, who are very adept at the art of cornering, who are going to make that race happen and ultimately win. And that's exciting to me because then it's not the formula.
0: The formula being four corners, hold the lead, go. The formula being
1: the strongest team, welds the field together, sets up their guy for a sprint because they've got eight guys in a row to lead him out. And then he happens to be the best sprinter in the country anyway. Um, I wanna create something that's more challenging for any team to control and, and really make it exciting for the spectators and the racers alike.
0: Okay, so tell me this, how are you going to get me there, me? your average bike racer who who wants to compete against the best people out there that he can possibly find. How are you gonna get me to Monterey this year and then get me to come back next year? What are the things that you are envisioning about Sand City that's gonna get somebody there and then keep them coming back?
1: Well, with BWR, part of the compelling thing for the community is they get to be on the start line with Pete Statna and they get to be there with Lawrence Tendam uh, or name your favorite rider. We're going to attract uh, the best teams that we possibly can because of where it sits on the calendar and their routing um, and get the best racers there and create incentives for, their to, for them to be there beyond just the large prize purse. So what we'll have is the star-studded fields for people to come out and watch that will attract other teams. Um, because the course is dynamic and challenging and doesn't, there isn't a guarantee that any one team is going to win, it's going to be more attractive to teams. So that concoction should compel people to want to come and rub shoulders and give it a go on a course that's more challenging, perhaps practice their cornering at their local weekly crits and, and engage in this type of racing in a new and interesting way. So it's that concoction that I think will work.
0: Now, when I get there and when I race this race, I don't want it to just be a race. I don't want to just go and show up, find a parking lot, put up the trainer, warm up or whatever it is, race my race and then leave. Like, why am I going to stay there? And what am I going to do to enjoy myself? Cause I'm expecting a BWR level event. You've you've you for better or worse you've created this this expectation that this is not just about a bike race. Well, uh,
1: again, it comes back to the formula for BWR. Number one is destination. As we all know, we all go to Sea Otter every year. That's in Monterey. Monterey. My wife and I joke about this all the time. It's like, look at all of these hotels. Like who is staying here? There are so many hotels because people love Monterey. They want to hang out there. They want to go to Pebble Beach. They want to go to the aquarium. They want to go to the different breweries that are on hand there. Um, It's a wonderful place to go and visit. It's extremely beautiful. Um, And that whole community is just so many different things that you can do. So there's that plus the course that you're gonna be at all day. You're gonna be watching people race, which is really fun. You're gonna do your race, so maybe two races. We're also considering doing early pro races that you have to qualify to get to the final. So the pros are gonna to have to probably race twice, at least twice to get there. Um, so creating that sort of fanfare and the ability to plug in and watch the racing between your racing. Um, and then ultimately, There's going to be a party with music and beer and food and artisans and this whole enclave of people coming out to celebrate the art of cornering.
0: So that's interesting that you talk about a qualifier because, you know, there are examples of events out there that have qualifiers, but never for the pros. So, you know, if you look at Athens, Athens has a pro am race that happens prior to the pro race at night. And the top 30 Cat 2s get into the Pro-Am, the top 25 Masters, 35 pluses, and down through the, you know, Cat 5s. Um, Iron Hill in Westchester, Pennsylvania did the same thing. You know, crit racers aren't used to, pro crit racers aren't used to having to prove their worth, you know, earlier in the day. Heck, most of them aren't used to waking up early in the day. How are you going to sell that?
1: Because the, the, we have to limit the field on that course. So we expect to have enough pros that want to do that race that will have to have a shorter 30 minute qualifier, two of them, and then half of the field from each will make it, which we think is really exciting, right? It forces people to be on their game and, and finish in that top half. So it's just another exciting way to create a dynamic there um, that other people aren't doing.
0: How many people can be on that course safely, and not only safely, but also entertainment-wise, so that it is a good race?
1: Yes, 75 is the number that we feel is safe um, and large enough. We could squeeze 100 on there, but then you 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 might be putting people in harm's way. Um, and we don't want to do that. So 75 is kind of the sweet spot, we think.
0: So for that big race, is it a nighttime race? Is it a, a twilight? When would the big race be? Yeah, no, it would be in the
1: afternoon. So the qualifiers would be early on. Then you'd have the big race later on in the day.
0: And And with that, are we doing the good old-fashioned, you know, music festival, Beer garden open is is it going to yeah. be okay? So yeah. there's going to be reasons for people to celebrate, reasons for people to be happy. Now, I I haven't asked you this question and I don't know the answer to this. So you might up you might with your answer not make me happy, and uh, uh, which is okay. I, I'm I'm prepared for it. How long is that pro race going to be? Is it gonna be legitimately long enough for it to be a professional race, or is it gonna be 30 minutes?
1: No, no, an hour, an hour for sure. Based on how many different races we ultimately hold and what the city will allow us in terms of noise permit from the early hours to the evening, will determine how long we can stretch out some of those more uh, important Or um, the the races with the larger prize purses, let's just put it that way, Um, because we want it to be a legitimate, you know, fight till the end, long race, long slog around those 10 turns for a long time.
0: Now. Adam Mills is obviously a neighbor of yours down the street a little bit in San Diego. He is gonna listen to this and he's more than likely gonna send you a a text and say 90 minutes is what you need. Yeah. Nothing shorter than 90.
1: And um, we very well may be able to accommodate that. Also keep in mind my partners at Monuments of Cycling are incredible uh, crit and road racers, Phil Tinsman and and Randall Coxworth, both of them national champions. Uh, And as you know, Phil tends to win most every master's race that he goes to now, uh, including the national title he just got. Um, they They will help me to perfect this thing and inform me on every little detail. And I'm so grateful that I have them as partners to be able to help me do that.
0: And Phil's great. He, uh, wins all those races much to my dismay. And despite my best efforts to beat him, fortunately, Randall's in a different age group from me on, I have to deal with Phil on a regular basis. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Phil and Randall race quite a lot together and Randall does fantastic support for Phil, but sometimes Randall just gets away in a break and then he goes on to win the race. Um, I should also mention that there's, uh, there's partners in Monterey that, you know, planted the seeds for this and the guys that they're intimately involved in it, they're championing this with the community. And really it's their event that I'm helping to make something to help elevate what it is that they're doing. Uh, And they're great friends. They're great people. Um, One of them, Frank owns the local, the best bike shop in the area called Workhorse in Monterey. Uh, Don Chapin is another guy who Uh, sponsors the local team and champions youth racing and loves crit racing. Uh, And then Tom McCulloch is um, uh, the other guy there that literally lives in that community and loves to race crits. So he's all about it. So it's that team of people that are going to make this thing happen.
0: Let's start to wrap up here, but I've got a couple of critical questions that I think the teams are going to be interested in. So obviously a big prize purse is one thing, and that will attract people to come to your race. But like I mentioned to you at one point in time in the past is if you're dealing with crit teams, and this is where it gets different from unroad racing with privateers, you're dealing with small corporations, and those corporations are motivated by prize money and they certainly want it but they don't budget based on how much they're going to win during the course of the year in prize money they're going to be looking at things like media buy and media rights and and you know media exposure they'll also be looking at incentives when it comes down to travel or hotel or host housing things of that nature will you be able to offer them that
1: yeah we've we've discussed that we understand that And we'll proffer different solutions for those mini corporations to make it worth their while to come and join us. Um, And we have between those people that I mentioned in the community that through their largesse, we'll be able to accommodate a lot of different things. Discounted hotels that we could end up paying for whole homes that they could stay in uh, without having to pay um, you know, travel compensation per diems or stipends, I should say. So there's all sorts of creative ways to make it worth their while to come. And then when they come, they can vie for that prize purse as well.
0: You know, one thing that kind of got left off there is about media. I know that you, with your position with BWR, are media savvy. You know, you are, you make very slick You know, promotions material, very slick post-race material. The beauty of BWR is if I'm in a picture, I'm gonna look good as an athlete. Uh, Even even in pictures that I have been in BWR related, where I do not look good, I actually do look kind of good. Are you going to be able to do that here? Are you gonna be able to bring in a team like ButcherBox from the East Coast or Empire from Utah, or you know, a team out of South Florida and bring them to Monterey, to San City and say, do this race, we're gonna make you look good while you're suffering.
1: Yeah, yeah, particularly those types of teams that are really adept at um, making video. But I will say, Monuments of Cycling created a separate company called Unroad Unlimited. And in that entity, we're the ones that make all the slick stuff that you mentioned. So the videos, the the films that you may have seen on outside on on cable TV and um, all the stuff that we generate asset wise, we will be there to do the same thing and to really capture the race from every angle and then tell that story and hopefully tell it through outside and all of its media partners, which as you know, is, is there's a whole legion of titles that they have, not just Bellow news and Pink bike. Um, there's tons of outlets for us to work with.
0: So final question here, when is it? When's the race? July 23rd. Perfect. That's gonna be a perfect time.
1: Yes, so it's a perfect time to race in Monterey. It's also a perfect time on the national crit calendar. So uh, we have our fingers crossed that everything will align and we'll be able to put on this magical race with this huge prize purse and um, offer 10 turns to people to come and show us just how good they are at painting those turns.
0: Well, Michael Marks, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Go there at wideanglepodium.com to find out about the full bevy of shows available for you. This episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with special thanks to our guest, Michael Marks. Our next show. We'll be out in two weeks' time. It will be our full season preview. We are bringing the cast back together. The whole gang will be here. Alan Schroeder, Celine Oberholzer, and myself will recap what's happened so far this year. NCL, Redlands, all those big races. And then we'll talk about what lies ahead, including previewing the ACC, Nationals, all those big races that you will love to watch and hear about this year. So join us here again next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation.